0: You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at hopeoakville.ca. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. I pray that you are very encouraged in this service so far in that song. And as you're seated, would you please open your Bibles to James chapter 5. James chapter 5, we're going to be looking at verses 13 to 18 together today. And um, just as we start to do that, I know I said this last week, but I really mean it this time, okay? Um, This is our second to last message in our series in James, okay? I said that last week, but this is why we say Lord willing, because we're never quite sure the Lord decides. Um, So what's going to happen is we have today's passage, James 5, 13 to 18. Uh, Next week, Pastor Carl is going to bring a very important message regarding you and your spiritual giftedness and becoming closer, integrated in our church family. That is next week, and then we will come back two weeks from now and seek to wrap up James with the final two verses, uh, verses 19 and 20, and let that serve a little bit as a summary of where we've been as well Over the last five months or so, of course, I say this under the category of Lord willing, because again, he will ultimately decide. But today we are in James chapter 5, and without a doubt, here is today's text theme. It is on the priority of prayer. The priority of prayer, um, that is our sermon title. Uh, Literally, the word prayer is mentioned in some form in every verse in our passage today. Uh, The word prayer or pray is uh, literally mentioned in every verse in our passage today. James would strongly, strongly agree with Oswald Chambers who said on the screen for us, uh, prayer does not fit us for the greater work. This is an important theological distinction and clarity. Prayer is the greater work. Church, we have to understand that. Okay? Prayer is the greater work. This is what God uses. James says huge, huge amens to this because this is so much of what he's saying within our passage today. So we live in a world which is inundated with practical pragmatism. Uh, pragmatism might have a place and yet the church has been set apart for the priority of prayer. Uh, James believes this and he understands that for a church that he's writing to that's suffering in hardship... The response, the priority, the primacy must be prayer. He knows for a church that's struggling with opposition, a uh, much coming against them as uh, followers of Jesus Christ in the first century, the priority must be prayer. James knows that a congregation that's experiencing weakness and physical sickness among them, uh, the priority must be prayer. Uh, for the church, in order to persevere, Uh, to endure, to remain steadfast with the coming of the Lord, then the priority must be prayer. Okay, so this is, again, what is so clearly being stated in God's word today, and this is where we're going today uh, as well. So this is a very, very important message. For us here together as a church, listen church, again, if we're going to do anything, this is part of what God wants to say to us, these reminders. Again, uh, prayer is so uh, vastly and so mightily important in our lives. And I love messages like this today too from the text, like going verse by verse. Prayer is the fire that if you get it going and you're doing well and it's raging and you leave and you think it's going to go on its own, it does not. The prayer fire, you must add logs on continually. It will not run by itself. And today, we are seeking to throw some significant logs back on the prayer fire individually, as family, as a church body as well, because this is what must happen. Prayer is very difficult. It is very difficult. Why? Your flesh hates it, and Satan's terrified of it. Prayer is spiritual warfare. There's so much coming against it, it's so easy to do so many other things. So many other things, and yet prayer is so, so important. So you might have noticed uh, so far in this message, I haven't prayed yet. That's intentional. Uh, I do that now, okay? I'm asking you to join me. I'm gonna get low. I pray you'll get low too, uh, physically and spiritually together, uh, just demonstrating uh, our need uh, for the Lord so desperately, and so we do. We, we we bow our heads, maybe a little lower than normal. And Father, we declare to you we are weak and unable. We just continually say this. We continually see this, Lord. We continually admit to you can't do it. We just we just can't on our own. That's why we pray. Prayer is a massive cry for help, and it is an acknowledgement of the awesome God, the only one who can. And so, Father, would you meet your children here today? Father, please, would you help your children today? I beg you, I beg you to meet, fill, and help and encourage supernaturally as only you can today in our weakness and in our insufficiency. It's so apparent to me, God, just waking up this morning again, just, just so aware of the inability. And so, we cry out to you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this message today, the content. We thank you for the heart of James, the Holy Spirit we thank you that you remind us on things that maybe we have heard, but I pray they will be fresh, and I pray they will be real, and I pray it will cause, again, our lives to change today on this massive subject uh, of prayer. We pray this together. In Jesus' name, if you agree, you can say, amen, let's go, let's go. James 5, uh, verse 13, by the way, again, I said, um, "Pray or is mentioned in every verse. I encourage you, circle or underline that. And uh, I like to draw lines between the words that are there and because I want to remember, I want to come back and I want to be reminded of where I've been and, and what it's been saying. So I just encourage you to interact with God's word and let's just hear what he has to say to us today. James 5.13, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him praise or sing praise. Remember, praise is a form of prayer. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it may not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth uh, bore its fruit. So again, I pray we will be massively encouraged with our text today so clearly on prayer. Thank you, Lord, for this opportunity. Uh, Point number one is this for us as a church, our outline number one in our suffering. We must be people of prayer. In our suffering, we must be people of prayer. Verse 13, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. James is setting right here a foundation for his theology on prayer. Uh, notice for James that prayer is not something that is passive. It doesn't sit back and watch. Prayer is something that is powerfully active. He's engaging and he's, he's imploring us, the church, to actively engage in prayer as well. Prayer for James is, he views it for what it actually is. Prayer is the unlocking of God's power upon his people. Prayer is not just a good thing to do and kind of suddenly sit back and just kind of, you know, this is a nice thing and I should be doing this. Prayer in his proper theology is unlocking the power of God Almighty to be unleashed upon his people and to bless and help his church. This is a proper theology of prayer, James would wholeheartedly agree with Charles Spurgeon on the screen for you, where Spurgeon said this, my own soul's conviction is that prayer is the grandest power in the entire universe. I wonder, do you believe that? Do I believe that? That prayer is the grandest power in the entire universe because as we pray to God, we are accessing all that God has. If prayer's the greatest power, I wonder if we would agree with that today, then the question is, then why don't we pray more? This is the fundamental issue today. This is the the crisis we face when it comes to the prayerlessness among the church, and the prayerlessness among Christians, and the prayerlessness among families, and the prayerlessness among leaders, and the prayerlessness again across the body of Christ. I know the stats, I've read them so many times. There is a widespread prayerlessness. We have to get our theology in line, what we say again, to lead to what we believe, not just hearers, but then doers. And I want you to consider that question right there. Why do you think there's so much prayerlessness among the church as a whole? Big C Church, why do you think that is? How would you answer that? For what reasons would you give? Why is there so much prayerlessness among the Again, our lives as a, as a whole. I, I think one of the main reasons for this is because our theology is so messed up. Meaning, like, we don't pray. I think finally, we don't pray because we don't believe prayer works. Because I think if we believed it worked, I think we would do it more. I think another reason for our prayerlessness is because we think too highly of ourselves. We think it's our effort. We think it's our ingenuity. We think it's our wisdom. We, we try to manipulate situations to gain the outcome that we desire. At the end of the day, we don't pray because we don't think it works and we think somehow we can fix or control the lives that we live. That's terrible theology. According to the New Testament, that is so backwards. James wants to correct this. James wants to encourage us towards a proper theology of prayer. We've said this all the way through our church, and again, I'm repeating myself intentionally in certain weeks and months. We have so many new people in our church, and ways we have to re-disciple. In many ways, with so many, we're starting over. And we've said this from the very beginning, Man, one of the greatest reasons we pray, because we are fundamentally and theologically convinced that without prayer, we're dead. If we don't pray that we we will not make it. We we are dead. And remember this too, and we've taught this many times before, but you've got to hear this. Prayerlessness in its very definition. Prayerlessness in the life. Prayerlessness in the marriage. Prayerlessness in the leaders. Prayerlessness in the church. Fundamentally, what you're saying is, thanks God, I'm good. Because prayer, a prayer-filled life is, God, I can't do it. A prayer-filled life is, God, I need you. The right theology of prayer is, God, there's no way that I'm going to make this happen. The prayerlessness, though, prayerlessness is communicating to God whether you want to or not. God, I'm good. I don't need you right now. And I don't think we want to be saying that to God. Always said, in my life, and then just called a ministry, whatever, too, just as recently as, let's see, ah, this morning... I think back upon the years and just the, the utter brokenness. I remember I remember at our one of our houses being in the basement, had they there getting ready for one of our again, 15, 15 years of Saturday night services, and the kids are all over the place and sitting there and getting ready for another Saturday night service and, and sitting on my desk in the basement trying to prepare for what's happening, saying, God, tears coming down my face. I can't do it, God. I can't do this. He's like, Yeah, you're right, you can't. Who said you could? It's never been about what you can do, Simon's. It's always about what I do in you through your brokenness and that's why you pray, child. That's why you pray. And it's, been, it's, it's frustrating at times how common that is. This morning, waking up, God, I can't. Right now in this moment, God, I can't. That's the point of prayer. The right theology says you and I on ourselves, we're dead. We must cry out to the one who can. See, this is the fundamental reality where prayer begins and continues and carries us on as we go forward in this life. So simple, but so important. We have to pray. Because you and I on our own, nothing will ever happen. Is anyone suffering? Let him pray. So beautiful. I want you to look at the hymn, What a Friend We Have in Jesus here, these, these beautiful words. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins. Jesus is the only one who can take our sins and carry our griefs and sorrows. He's the only one who can bear them. He's the only one. Maybe you're here today to hear that. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Here's the thing. Oh, what peace we often forfeit! We forfeit so much peace with our own manipulation, our own control, our own self-effort, whatever it is. What peace we often forfeit! Oh, what needless pain we bear. I mean, life is filled with pain enough as it is, but then the pain we add on top of that because we don't seek the Lord and depend on him. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Forgive us, eh? Like, like Lord, forgive us for our self and dependence, and our self-sufficiency, when it's bad theology, the peace we often forfeit, the needless pain we bear because we just don't carry it to the Lord within, within prayer. We must be people of prayer in our suffering, and I want you to see this too. In verse 13, it says, we also pray when we are comforted. He says, is anyone cheerful? Let them sing praise. Remember, again, praise is a form of prayer. It's amazing, just all throughout this whole passage here. I love that. Some of of my favorite joy-filled moments in life is not telling the Lord what I need, but thanking God for what I have. Some of my favorite moments in life is when I'm just struck and stopped and just aware, not asking the Lord what I need, but thanking the Lord for what I have. It could be a meal when I'm hungry. It could be a roof in the rain. It could be a moment with one of my children. It could be a coffee in the quiet. It could be the heat turning on in the winter. It just could be a bird outside singing. It is so powerful to be able to stop and to thank the Lord in the midst of comfort, to praise him, and to sing to him for his goodness, his faithfulness, and his grace upon our lives. Another access point for prayer to fill our lives in this way. The bottom line is we must be a people of prayer. Hey, listen, and I know it's hard. Like, I want to make sure that you know that I know how hard prayer is for the reasons I've already outlined. What a battle that is. And I, wanna, I want you to know right now, too, just like from, from my heart to your heart, too, man, I need to grow in this area. I just, I just want you to understand that. Like, I have good seasons and bad seasons, and, and, and I need to grow. Like I see prayerlessness in my life at times and it grieves me so much but then I'm so thankful for times like this to remind me of what matters most and that I want to grow in this and I want to see prayer. So like the, the prayer fire is there and sometimes it's raging and sometimes it's like barely hanging on. But to throw some longs on that prayer fire and to get it going again by God's spirit and God's grace and God's help. To say man, in our suffering and our comfort. We must be people of prayer. Practically speaking to church, if you want um, a way to apply this. Which Martin Lloyd-Jones said this and I read this many years ago. It never left me. I try to pass it on to as many of you as possible. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this. Never refuse the impulse to pray. Never refuse the impulse to pray. I've always loved that. So, whenever you have the impulse to pray, here's the key like obedience in that moment, obedience in that moment, Uh, especially for men, for everyone, for everyone, everyone. But I just like, I'm a man, I'm a husband, I'm a dad, whatever. Just again, men, when you get the impulse to pray in that moment, seize it, seize it, seize it, seize it. You're like, I'll do it in two minutes, and two minutes you're distracted. Isn't that so true? That happens all the time. Impulse to pray, do it. You're with your wife, impulse to pray. Just do it right then and there. Just do it. Drop to your knees, grab a hand, pray, 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 right? As friends, impulse to pray. Maybe it's here at the church after the service, impulse to pray, talking in the foyer, having a conversation. Impulse to pray Seize it Seize it Driving home in the car Impulse to pray Keep your eyes open Keep your eyes open If you're driving Okay Impulse to pray Seize it Seize it Impulse to pray Again today at home Impulse to pray Seize the impulse to pray Never ever That's the Holy Spirit That's the Holy Spirit Leading you and me to pray That is a fantastic way Of taking the opportunity To be people of prayer And allowing it to kind of Permeate our lives In simple but profound ways Never refuse the impulse to pray. We must be people of prayer stating our dependence upon the Lord. Number two is this. In our sickness, we must pray with faith. Verse 14. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. Listen, and the Lord... We'll raise him up. I want us to remember that in the context James is writing to, that disease and sickness were rampant in the ancient world. There's so much we take for granted in our day, in our modern medicine, the things we just get so used to. We are so, so blessed in that regard. They had none of that, of course. We still have so much, again, health concerns. The longer we live and the more complications that seem to develop But the response to such sickness here is so clear in this text. The response is prayer. When someone is sick, the response is to pray. I love here that the call is not for some priest to come. The call is not for some special pastor. Only if that pastor comes, no. The call is for the elders of the church. The elders of the church who represent the local Christian community of believers a symbol and a representation of praying for one another, Call the elders of the church to pray over the one who is physically sick. just want to take a moment just to state what's obvious. We have such incredible and wonderful elders and pastors in this church who serve so faithfully with such love and sacrifice and diligence, and they give and give and give and give. And I'm so thankful for their heart and their love for all of you. And their desire to care for so many situations and so many people. And it it's such a blessing to me to see in action. What stands out here in verse 14 is the call for the elders to pray over this individual, anointing him with oil. What's the oil there for? The oil is a symbol of the Spirit of God. The oil is a symbol or representation of God's presence. But notice prayer is how we tap into God's power here. Prayer is the key to seeing the power of God upon that life. The oil symbolizes the person set apart, symbolizes the person is set apart for the care of God. It is the prayer that unlocks the power to make the difference. Let the elders be called to pray over the person anointing with oil. This is this something we do at Hope Oakville? Absolutely. Always have. I pray we always will. we are made of situations we are asked to, the elders gather, we pray over the individual, we anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a beautiful and it's a powerful exercise. By the way, you're here today and you're in this church family and you're part of our church community and you desire to be prayed for, for healing physically over your body. We would love to know about that and we would love to do that. You can get in touch with us here at the church and we would arrange a time and the pastors and elders of this church would love to gather around you and care for you. And that's something we take very seriously and something we've seen God use to bring such encouragement and to bring healing. Look at verse 15 now. It says, And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up, it says there. So there's no question here that the Lord, through James and the Holy Spirit, is asking us to pray for healing. There's no question. As a church family, we are called to pray for healing when people are physically sick. And we are called to pray with faith. We are called to pray with faith that he would heal the sick. The context here appears to be someone who is quite sick. In fact, someone who is sick and in bed, unable to walk. As we see the phrase there, and the Lord will raise him up. So in the original, that's most likely speaking to someone, again, who's sick in bed, unable to get up, unable to walk around, so pretty significantly ill. The prayer and the Lord would heal, and the person's able to get up again, to move around, and to be restored to good health. It's interesting as we go through verses 14 and 15, for some of us, this passage directly confronts our lack of faith in God's desire to heal. For some of us, this is a confrontation of doubt in our lives. There's no doubt in this text. We are called to pray boldly and to believe God heals in our day. To be obedient in asking God to heal individuals who are physically sick as we have seen again in the past. We have gathered, we have prayed, we have anointed with oil, we have seen God heal lives again across the history of the church. However, and this is very, very important, what is not helpful is when people take a verse in 14 and 15 and they take such a text and they claim now a healing on demand. When a person in this case Uh, claims to have a healing power on demand, what they've just done is they take the position of God in that that instance, and when healing doesn't happen, because it doesn't always happen under the sovereignty of God, they blame the individual who's sick, and they say, you did not have enough faith. Let me just put it bluntly, when people do that and leaders do that, that is a form, don't be too severe, I think this is true, that is a form of spiritual abuse. The sick people are not called to pray in this text. The elders are called to pray. It is the prayer of faith of the individuals gathering around the one who is sick, And when people will say healing unto men and they pray and then they're not healed and then they blame the individual who's sick for that? Are you kidding me? That's awful. And if you've been part of that in the past and that's happened, you have to make sure you understand what's actually being taught in scripture here. Are we called to pray for healing? Yes. Yes, we are. Do we need to submit in the end under the sovereignty of God? Yes, we do. Because we have seen healing and we have seen situations in this church over the years we have prayed fervently and asked God with all kinds of faith and the individual has not been healed in the way that we would desire. And in that moment, we must submit to God in his will and we must understand fundamentally more, 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 way more important for someone to be physically healed is for someone to be spiritually healed by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because in the end of the day, you can be physically healed and you can live. But you need Jesus Christ to set you free from your sins. And the only one who can do that is Jesus Christ. And that spiritual salvation that only he can bring, that's what saves us for eternity. And that's what most desperately any individual wants. And sometimes God uses physical sickness to bring about spiritual salvation. He is sovereign. We are not. But but, but, I don't want to lose the thrust of what's happening here. We're called to pray for healing. And we will continue to do so with faith and trusting that God will do it. And yet we surrender to his sovereign will at the end of the day because there's too much we don't understand at this point and this side of heaven. But in our sickness, in our sickness, we are called to pray with faith. And just a little side note here. I learned this this week. um, James, who wrote this. James, I found out, tradition says James was called old camel knees. And the re- this is tradition. We don't know if it's true for sure. But he was called old camel knees because his knees were so worn down through prayer like a camel's knees. And he prayed so much and he believed in it so much and I thought that was very insightful and I thought that was very encouraging as well. And here he is saying, church, I want you to be the same. I want you to be on your knees. I want you to be men and women and children that believe in the saving healing power of the lord and to pray to him within all situations in our suffering people of prayer in our sickness we pray with faith thirdly this is a big one in our confession or in our sins we must be people of confession in our sins we must be people of confession so look at verse 15 again and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the lord will raise him up and listen to this and if he has committed sins he will be forgiven Notice the result, therefore, confess your sins to one another, and these are linked, pray for one another, here's the outcome, that you may be healed. Very interesting here. We cannot get around, in verse 15 and the first half of 16 here, that James is implying that sin can cause forms of sickness, Can, Which, by the way, is in line with the teaching of the New Testament. Again, let me stress this. At times, sin can cause some forms of sickness. The phrase that you may be healed is directly linked in the original in the Greek to confess your sins. Confess your sins that you may be physically healed. Doug Moot points out that the verb heal is consistently applied to physical afflictions. So confess your sins that you may be healed of physical afflictions at times. And this is very, very key because, of course, we got your attention right now because we're entering into some important theological territory right now. This doesn't mean every time you have a cold, you are searching for a secret sin that's unbeknownst to you, okay? That's not what we're talking about here. However, at the same time, the Bible is teaching us, and with sobriety warning us, when we have a sin that is wreaking havoc on our life, and if that sin is causing a form of sickness upon our lives as well, you won't have to wonder what the sin is. You'll know. Like you've known for a long time. It's a sin that has taken over your life. It is absolutely ravaging your heart. And in some cases, sin can lead to physical sickness. So I want to be super clear what the Bible is teaching and what the Bible is not teaching here, okay? So just to do that, to be as clear as we can on the screen for you right now, here's what we know the Bible teaches in this regard. This is important stuff. Sin can cause sickness. can Our passage today, James 5, 1 Corinthians 11 is the Lord's Supper. This passage is always kind of, I've always kind of been so struck by. He says, Paul says, This is why some of you have become sick and even died because you handled with such irreverence the Lord's Supper. You can read it yourself. 1 Corinthians 11, he he explicitly says, Some have gone sick and died for their irreverent handling of the Lord's Supper. This is so key, okay? But not. All sickness is a result of sin. We know that, of course. Jesus affirms that in John chapter 9. Say it again not all sickness is a result of sin. Very, very important, very, very clear. Nor does all sin cause sickness. We should know that too. Nor does God always remove sickness. That's one of the things we have to be aware of. This is the example of Paul's stored in the flesh. Three times I pleaded with God. It was not removed from me. My grace is sufficient for you. God does heal at times. Some that he doesn't. His own purposes we don't understand. Here's the main point though of this passage. The main point from James five fifteen to 16. Confession of sin can alleviate at times sickness, which is again, is caused by sin. This is what he's trying to say here. At times sickness causes can cause sin confession of sin in our lives in those cases can be used to alleviate to bring about healing through prayer over such sickness within our lives see this is why when we 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 gather as elders to pray over someone who's physically sick and, 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 and in need of healing, we go through the process, according to James 5, before we know we and pray for them, we say, is there any obvious, unconfessed sin in your life that you want to confess right now? Is there anything that you're aware of? And again, the individual, if there's something there, they will be aware of it. They'll be aware of something they've been trying to hide. They'll be aware of some sin that has been wreaking havoc in their life and that is the time to confess the sin. Again, to get nothing in the way of what God's trying to do in the life of that individual. So, so confession of sin is, is a big deal and what James is also really getting at here, the heart of these verses here, notice the two one another's uh, in verse 16 here. Notice he says, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Okay? So we learn here in church, again, this is, this is important stuff, and I'm, I'm glad the Lord is bringing it to us today. A healthy community of authentic believers in Jesus Christ will also include a healthy level of confession of sin among us. Um, Unchecked sin in our lives brings devastation upon individuals, upon families, upon friendships, and upon church bodies. Unconfessed sin is the devil's delight. Unconfessed sin is that weed if you remember too, right, sin, when it starts off as hatred, if it's not checked, if it's allowed to grow, uh, hatred will end up in murder. Cain and Abel, right? Jealousy, bitterness, hatred. If if it's allowed to grow to its fullest extent, right, Uh, lust will result in adultery or worse, Sin must be checked. It must be rooted. It must be confessed. We can't allow it to grow in our lives. But Satan wants it to remain hidden and unconfessed so more damage and more destruction can happen among the body of Christ. So, this is why, too, the healthy Christian life cannot be lived in isolation. Uh, We are designed for one another. Uh, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you might be healed. Now, when it comes to confessions of sins to one another, this is not going to be you confessing to like 100 people at a time. This might be a very, very small group of people. This might be one individual. Tremendous intimacy or vulnerability needs to be done with discernment and discretion. And yet, the ability to have someone or a few people in your life that you can say, hey, I'm really struggling with this sin. I have to confess this to you, whatever it might be. That is a massive uh, part of health and promoting God's spirit working within our lives. The last thing Satan wants, right? He wants everything in the dark, in the dark, in the dark, in the dark, keep it hidden, get the closet closed, but you gotta shine the light of Jesus Christ in. And one of the greatest ways we break the stronghold of Satan in our lives is by admitting and confessing the sin that we're battling in the darkness within. Then the light comes to shine, the forgiveness is granted by the Lord Jesus Christ, the, the healing prayers of individuals come around us, and wow, that is a beautiful sight to see. Confession of sin is a, is a, very, is a very big deal. And it's a big part of a true health within a church body and a, a church community. Why? Because it promotes unity, it promotes health, it promotes reconciliation, it's honesty, and it promotes prayer. Um, I want you to see, this is what David wrote in Psalm 32. This, this context is David's sin with Bathsheba and the murder of Bathsheba's husband, Uriah. This is what he says when he did not confess his sin. Okay, very, very instructive for us. When I kept silent, meaning, meaning 100%, this is what he meant by this. When I did not confess my sin to you, when I tried to keep the sin hidden, when I pretended like I didn't do it, when I lived a lie, when I would not confess my sin openly, my bones wasted away. It's so amazing, eh? What unconfessed sin does to us is it starts to rot us away from the inside. My groaning all day long. Look at this. Day and night, God, your hand was heavy upon me. Isn't that so true? When we're trying to live duplicitous lives, when we're trying to be one way here right now on Sunday and a whole different way the rest of the week, and we're living these double lives and sin is really marking our lives, the, the, the hand and heaviness of God comes upon us and starts to weigh us down. And I love this description, man, I love and don't love. And he says, my strength dried up as the heat of summer. That's such a good analogy metaphor to use there. It's like when the heat wave comes on in the summer and you're sitting there and you're absolutely, he exhausted and you got nothing left that's what it's like to live a life of unconfessed sin the hand of God because he loves us the hand of God presses down he won't let us get away with it and so we start to lose our strength and lose our joy and lose our affection and lose our ability to be a David got to the point he's like I cannot do this anymore and by God's grace his sin was brought to the forefront by the help of a trusted friend and by the Lord I mean, there is no doubt in a room this size, and the amount of people that are here right now and in overflow or watching online, maybe in our unfold group right now, listening, so glad that you're doing that as well. We love you so much. Listen, in a room this size, there's some of us here right now, and the hand of God is heavy upon you, woman, man, teenager. The hand of God is heavy upon you because he loves you because of unconfessed sin. You've been trying to live two lives. You've been trying to get away with it. You think, it's interesting, I read it, going through the Pentateuch right now in my readings and in Numbers. I came across that verse again that reminded me, says, be sure your sin will find you out. See, right now, if you're trying to play a game, that somehow I can live this double, life. it's just not gonna work. I mean, if you're genuinely in Christ, the Lord loves you enough, at some point it's gonna be found out. And, and what happens is we just lose our ability and again, our joy and our chance to sing and just to love the Lord because we're just, we're just not being truthful, we're not being honest, we're not living with integrity, we don't have character, we're, we're letting sin go unchecked. If that's you today, and you are here today, what you have to recognize what's happening right now, God is loving you so much. Like overflow, listening, whatever it is, campus, God is loving you so much that he's allowing you to be gently moved in a direction, Let's get that sin confessed. Let's break the stronghold of Satan and let's get you being filled with the peace and love and joy of God again in your life that you may be able to be here and sing with a clear conscience and to know the peace and love of God upon your life again. Let me also say this, be crystal clear. There's no sin Jesus will not forgive. When someone genuinely comes to Jesus with confession and repentance, you will receive grace. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There is no sin too great. His love is unfathomable. His grace is inexhaustible. His mercy is undeniable. You will be forgiven. But you must take that. We must take the steps towards Jesus Christ to seek, Lord, I need to be forgiven. I have not been living a life of honesty, integrity, and truthfulness. In our sins, we must be people of confession. And then lastly here, Point number four, in our supplication, in our supplication, we must pray with power. Every verse on prayer. Look at verse 16 now. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it may not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore fruit. You see what James is doing right here? James is like, hey, remember that story? Elijah, one of the most famous men again in the Jewish faith, and they would all know exactly what he's talking about. He's like, Elijah, a man with a nature just like ours. That's so encouraging. Elijah's not special. Elijah was a man who loved the Lord. You love the Lord and you believe in prayer. You believe in the power of God, you're like Elijah. Elijah with a nature just like ours, he prayed and the rain stopped for three and a half years, three plus years. Then he prayed again and the rains came and the earth was refreshed by the supernatural power of God. He's like, you got some faith? You got some godliness growing in your life? You got some power you wanna see God do? You have some desire to be used to God in the life of prayer. You too then, in the same example, Elijah brought physical refreshment on the earth through his prayer. You can bring supernatural spiritual refreshment upon one another in the name of Jesus Christ. He's like, who's got faith? Who wants to see God's power unleashed upon their loved ones, upon the community, upon the church? Who wants to see God move and heal You don't have to be special, you gotta love the Lord Jesus Christ. You gotta be pursuing godliness. You gotta have integrity, but it can be anyone. anyone of y'all right now believing in the Lord and you wanna have a life again that's pure before him, then your prayers, the prayers of a righteous person has great power as it is working. That's encouraging. You see, prayerlessness stinks because prayerlessness doesn't take an advantage of what James is giving us an example of here in verses 16 to 18. But the prayer-filled life says, I believe the Lord can. Notice, notice in verse 17 it says that Elijah prayed fervently. He prayed fervently. See, the reason that we experience so little power from God sometimes is because we offer so little fervent prayer to God many times. The fervency of prayer and how the Lord uses that. You know the, the impact of the prayers of one man or one woman on the screen for you. This is about John Knox. Instead of John Knox, it was his prayers were so powerful and they were more dreaded by Mary of Scots than the armies of Philip. Mary of Scots was terrified when John Knox began to pray because the prayers of John Knox changed the nation. A man with a nature just like ours grabbing hold of the throne of grace and asking God to do what only the Lord can do. Church, our, our priority must be prayer. It's so simple, yet it is so, it is so life-changing and it is so world-altering. More faith in prayer, more power in prayer. Again, more priority in prayer. Think of the peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear because we do not carry everything to God. In prayer. So I think, I think a, a, a very fitting response to a message that is so clear today from God's word is that we turn the last few moments of our service into a little prayer meeting. So we're going to do that. Don't be scared. I'm going to put a slide on the screen for you right now. And um, here's what we're going to do, okay? So for some of you, this is new. But I'm asking you, and this is one of the fundamental parts of James. He's like, hey, let's not just be hearers of the word, let's be doers of the word. So we're gonna take two, three, four minutes right now and we're gonna turn this room into a little bit of a prayer meeting. Hey, um, if you're a little nervous and you wanna pray by yourself and pray silently, praise the Lord. No problem at all, no problem at all. You wanna bow your head, but I ask you to pray. I ask you to pray sincerely. What my preference would be at this time is that like our prayer meetings, we get into groups of two, three, or four and we would pray out loud. We would pray out loud together. Maybe someone you came with, maybe you're gonna make a new friend today. Some of the greatest friends that have been made in prayer meetings. I just want you to know that. It's such a blessing to pray with brothers and sisters in Christ. If you're comfortable, and I hope that you are, that you'll be able to gather two, three, four people, and we'll take a few minutes, and we're going to pray through this slide right now out loud. Louis is going to play quietly in the background for us as we do so, and this will be a wonderful time of saying, Lord, I believe, and Lord, we must pray. It's pretty simple, but it's very powerful. Lord, would you make us a people of prayer? If we become a people of prayer, man, there's no telling what God will do. Like he, just, he just wants to see that we know we need him. And the greatest expressions of that is we pray. I think this is important too, right, for some of us. And maybe you have the courage to pray it out loud. God, forgive us for our prayerlessness. Forgive me for my prayerlessness. Maybe, maybe that's where we start. I repent, Lord, I have not prayed. But thank you, you forgive me by grace. And that you woo me now towards you to be a man or woman, a child of prayer. Let's pray for healing right now. Lord, I pray that you would heal and raise up and you can fill in the blank of an individual right there you want to pray for, more to come on that too. And then lastly, Lord, your church is so desperately in need of supernatural refreshment and power. And so just like Elijah, Lord, we pray. We pray that you'll be doing that. So again, we're going to take two, three, three, four minutes right now. Um, as I said, say one more time. If you're willing to gather in groups of two, three, four, whatever it might be, and pray out loud. If you want to pray by yourself, that's so good too. But let's, let's do that right now. And then at the end, we will, we will sing a song response together. Let's pray, church. Let's pray.